Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second cross-border tax podcast episode. My name is Harry Channa, and I'm the International Tax and Transactions Tax Practice Leader for BDO Canada. In our first episode, we introduced and discussed the impact of base erosion and profit shifting, commonly known as BEPS. More specifically, we dug into Action 1, addressing the tax challenges of the digital economy. Within Action 1, we discussed the impact of Pillar 1, that essentially can assert taxing rights in a jurisdiction based on digital presence without the need for physical presence. Pillar 2 introduced a minimum tax that would apply to large global enterprises as part of Action 1. In today's episode, we continue our conversation on the impact of BEPS on multinational enterprises and its effect on indirect, customs, and global workforces. With us today is Brian Morcom, who leads our indirect tax practice, and Deborah Moses, who leads our expatriate tax practice for BDO Canada. So Brian, can you share some of your thoughts on what multinational enterprises need to know on the indirect tax and customs side? Yeah, Harry. So there's actually a lot in the indirect tax mix when it comes to BEPS. Um, you know, there's been a lot of focus on corporate income tax and transfer pricing, but it's interesting. There have been significant initiatives uh, over the past number of years focused on on uh, indirect tax. In fact, actually, before we go too deep into that, Harry, because we're going to be talking GST and HST, which is a bit of a foreign tax to a number of the listeners, would it be helpful just to give a quick background on how it works, maybe with an example? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Let's let's start with a, a quick example. Great. Yeah. So so basically, GST, HST, which is goods and services tax, harmonized sales tax, very different than sales and use taxes, much more akin and frankly is a value-added tax. Um, so what does this mean? It means it applies at all levels of the supply chain. And in Canada, the rates vary from 5% to 15%, depending on which province the supply is deemed to be made in. Basically, vendors collect tax from recipients and that tax gets sent into the government and the recipients claim refunds. We don't use purchase exemption certificates or reseller certificates. So Brian, it sounds like GST and HST would apply to most B2B transactions and B2C transactions. When we look at it, I guess, in the terms of, of BEPS, what, what measures did Canada introduce and, and why were they needed? When we're looking at multinational enterprises, MNEs, um, and actually in the indirect tax world, we use a vernacular multi-location entities, MLEs. Um, so consider them to be interchangeable for the purpose of this discussion. Effectively, going back to the 90s, we saw people exploiting gaps, businesses exploiting gaps um, with different countries' tax systems that led to domestic tax, base erosion, profit shifting, BEPS. And the dollars are significant. They're huge, obviously, 100 to $240 billion in, in lost revenue. And, and what, what happened there is around 2016, the OECD adopted the International VAT GST guidelines. And these were designed to address principles from the OECD G20 project on BEPS. And, and they focus in on particularly neutrality and, uh, and determining the place of taxation. Um, and why is that relevant in terms of this discussion? Well, these are married to the Pillar 1 uh, BEPS initiatives. Um, so particularly, for example, neutrality of VAT um, and GST in the context of international trade 
you know, we're looking at the preventing taxing B2B, so business to business transactions. They're still being tax transacted, but the tax is not supposed to stick as a hard cost. Um, we're also looking at ensuring that foreign businesses are not advantaged or disadvantaged um, by, for example, Canada's tax system. That's a big issue, and that's we're going to get to that in a moment, and, and you know exactly what Canada's done to address that point. Another big consideration, ease of administration. Foreign companies doing business in Canada. We don't want it to be complicated. We want it to be straightforward. We want it to be easy. So those are the neutrality considerations. And then we've got the determining of place of taxation, which is otherwise commonly known as the destination principle. So with the destination principle, we're concerned about you know, tax based on jurisdiction of consumption. Um, so, you know, for example, you don't want somebody that being taxed uh, outside of Canada for something that's being consumed in Canada. That would be counterintuitive, possibly. Um, you know, we've got customer identity and, uh, and user residence rules. And so what happened was within Canada, we've got this great taxing system that's going to be collecting tax and, you know, customers being eligible to claim refunds. But then when it came to non-residents, we had this huge gap. And to get to your question, Harry, it's that huge gap that needs to be addressed. And that huge gap is where non-residents historically might not be viewed as carrying on business in Canada. They don't need to be registered for our sales tax. They don't need to report anything to Canada Revenue Agency. And the result is that consumers in Canada are able to buy these services from these non-residents that aren't registered and don't collect tax. And then there's no tax actually being collected on these supplies. And the consumers aren't self-assessing tax. They don't necessarily even have a, an effective mechanism to get that tax into the government. So what Canada's done to address these points, as well as the considerations around, you know, BEPS and the OECD G20 project on BEPS that, you know, gave us neutrality and, and uh, destination principle as main considerations is a new set of rules that come into play July 1, 2021, assuming that the Canadian government can maintain its deadline. These are rules that were proposed as of November 30, 2020, and they are targeting non-residents that are going to be supplying digital property and services predominantly to consumers in Canada. And consumers in this situation isn't what most folks would consider a, a typical definition of consumer within tax legislation, which generally hones in on an individual. Instead, we're looking at consumers as just being anybody who's not registered for GSTHST. So it could be a business that's just not registered for GSTHST in Canada. And we're seeing supplies that are made to those consumers of digital property and services could be supplies made over uh, you know, a digital platform by digital platform operators. We're seeing the expansion of these rules to address supplies of short-term accommodation, again, through short-term accommodation platform operators. And we're seeing non-residents that use fulfillment warehouses and also sell via their own websites into Canada. They're gonna be caught into these rules. And at the end of the day, we're looking at anybody who is basically uh, making taxable supplies greater than $30,000 a year, taking into account the preceding 12 months, to consumers, to, to individuals, as having to now register for GSTHST effective July 1, 2021. And, and what's quite good about all of this change is that we will see 
according to the government's metrics, as much as a, an increase of $247 million of what was otherwise lost tax revenue that will now be introduced into um, the Canadian economy. It's also now putting uh, non-residents on the same playing field as Canadian residents that had to collect tax on these supplies. So you think about, for example, streaming services of television and movies that we all enjoy these days. A Canadian supplier of that had to collect tax. The non-resident didn't have to. And so that gave the non-resident a competitive advantage over the Canadian company because consumers had to pay tax to use that Canadian company. That's not going to be the case as of July, which is great news. And it also addresses, again, those BEPS considerations. Now we're dealing with the neutrality concern where we're not seeing foreign businesses that have an advantage over Canadian businesses. They're also introducing a simplified framework that will allow non-residents to very easily register. Mind you, they will not be eligible for refunds of the tax, but tax credits by using that simplified framework. That addresses the ease of administration. While we should still see, because consumers, you know, including only non-registrants, uh, we shouldn't see an issue with the OECD and G20's concerns around taxing business to business you know, uh, in, a, in a hard way, basically in a way that they can't recover that tax. Lastly, you know, we're seeing that consumers are the ones being taxed based on use in their own jurisdiction, which helps us with our destination principle. And obviously honing in on things like the customer identity and then the usual place of residence of those individuals. Again, concerns that are covered by the OECD G20, um, VAT, GST, uh, international guidelines. Thanks for that, Brian. Yeah, I guess it, it goes back to your concept of ensuring tax neutrality and making sure that everybody's on the same level playing field. So thanks for th thanks for sharing your insights on on just GST, HST, its impact on customs and, uh, and sales tax. Thanks for including me. I want to just switch gears a little bit and bring in Deborah Moses, leader of our expatriate tax practice. BEPS has impacted global travel. And I'd like to, uh, Deborah, maybe if you can just uh, enlighten the audience, just how BEPS has impacted global travel and what it means now from a global mobility perspective. Sure. Thanks, Harry. Basically, a lot of people are thinking that, that BEPS had no impact on global mobility, but there's a fair amount of uh, impacts that it has. What we've been telling most people is what they have to do is do an assessment of where they are now, like understand where you are today evaluate all the activities of your globally mobile employees and ensure that their tax strategies to develop a more concrete plan to assess any ta any risk uh, exposure um, that could be there. There's heightened uh, focus on substance now. Thus, the employment relationships and structures are expected to be examined much more closely by the tax authorities globally. So because these relationships uh, often drive uh, permanent establishment determination, employee taxability, uh, transfer pricing implications, and indirect tax applicability, among others. So it's really important, you know, maintaining and enhancing adequate substance within the employment relationships and structures is going to be critical to managing any unanticipated outcomes in case of a challenge by any of the tax authorities. So we always say, you know, understand where you are, what you have documented first. And then for the next step, we say, you know, plan ahead, what's gonna happen? So, 
you know, look at and establish any processes and procedures you have to, that are to track and monitor your globally mobile employees, create the structure needed to address future compliance requirements that you may have, and solidify any protocols and procedures to track your mobile employees, including business travelers, you know, in order to assess any associated permanent establishment risk and comply with reporting and withholding requirements. Um, Harry, you and I have a lot of discussions on this when, you know, we have the employees going, we have to look right. at um, whether or not there's any permanent establishment risk to the company that they may be creating. That's right. That's right. That's a, that's a yeah. key consideration is the permanent establishment yeah. rules on global, global mobility. Yeah. So then there's um, a lot of this documentation needs to be done. There's data transparency and visibility where the tax authorities are becoming very technologically savvy and exchange of information between authorities is becoming commonplace. So that's why we have to be careful and make sure that everything is uh, both sides, both countries have everything documented properly and knowing where your employees are and what activities that they're performing will be key in managing the detailed country by country requirements and associated compliance there. So once you've figured out what you have, then what you need to do is you have to establish specific rules for your employees, like specific projects that you may have, something like that. So the country by country specific rules to ensure compliance with the recording requirements in each jurisdiction where a company does business, thereby minimizing the risk exposure in that country. The new country-based reporting requirements can be quite detailed. Therefore, in order to successfully mobilize the workforce and mitigate risks, teams need to be confident that the organization is using the appropriate method of initiating assignments and adhering to the most up-to-date standards. Establishing processes and procedures not only to support, but to drive compliance, because there's a multidisciplinary approach to building these processes as necessary, looking from a tax, from a mobility, human resource, finance, payroll, and legal perspective. It all needs to be put in there together. So once all of that is decided upon, the most important part that comes down is you need to document it documented effectively. Ensure that there's a robust assignment and intercompany documentation is in place. Have the information needed to respond to increased scrutiny from tax authorities so as to avoid any of the potential penalties that occur. Contemporaneous documentation to support assignments is the first line of defense in an audit situation in order to manage global tax risk. Review the mobility documentation for details on assignees' activities, roles, responsibilities from the home, host entities, and alignment with the commercial reality and actual practice. It's really important that the document clarifies de facto or economic employment of the individual while on assignment. Each the various countries have different rules around that, as well as lay the basis for any cross-charge of costs between the entities in line with transfer pricing regulations to manage risks. I know Dan talked on the prior podcast on, on transfer pricing, and we work very closely with him in trying to make sure that all the transfer pricing is in place for this, because with the employees, it all comes down to where are their costs borne and what are the costs recharged done. So the last piece that we usually talk to clients on this that you need to look out for is to ensure that your transfer pricing is compliant. 
So you need to assess like your cost recharge arrangements relative to globally mobile employees to ensure that the policies adhere to transfer pricing guidelines to remain outside any corporate tax requirements in the jurisdictions in which the companies do business. Institute appropriate cross-charging methodology and ensure that entities are adequately compensated for the value that's created by each entity. Um, each we're working with a client right now, trying to determine this uh, what part of what type of markup that they're going to use. So, in addition to cross charging of employees' compensation, the appropriate allocation for deemed transfer of intellectual property that may be seen as being transferred. On the secondment of an employee, we call secondment of employee basically the lending of employees between different companies, but there's an actual um, secondment agreement that usually goes along with that, and that's why they may also be required. It's, there's an added complexity to this part. So I'd say most part of it is just the documentation that needs to be done, understanding what your employees are doing in each country. And do you have the right documents in place if the tax authorities come and ask you to uh, confirm where you are? Um, Knowing where your employees are is very important as well. Yeah, Deborah, I was just going to say, you know, I I think just as as you're talking there, a couple of things just obviously come to mind here, right? It's uh, documentation obviously is really key in terms of how, 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 global employees, you know, move from, you know, one jurisdiction over to another and making sure that we don't trip up, whether it's income tax rules, whether it's other payroll type of requirements, transfer pricing, I think, as you said, adds a nice um, sort of, you know, ribbon and, and bow to this whole, to this whole transaction and makes it come together. So transfer pricing is very important. But the one thing, you know, I, I, I heard you mention a couple of times is documentation, that documentation is really key when we have global uh, mobile workforces. So can you give an example just in terms of if you, you know, how you uh, help clients with their global workforces on documenting these, whether it's policies or procedures? There's various types of ways that people have been doing it. We we have a tool called QuickTrip, Video QuickTrip, that we find is quite useful because depending on where the person is, it has um, GPS tracking ability or they can turn it off. And it uh, can go on your cell phone. You can track the people. The reports can go through to the company. The company can set up certain uh limits that they'll have where alarms will go off or the person, maybe that person isn't the right person to send into that country because now they may be tripping up some other rules. So we do have software that's done that way and it can be done on the cell phone. It can be done on the computer for the company so they can follow it. There are other methods as well, but we find this one really helps with um, having the company know exactly where their employees are and it can be done automatically with uh, not a lot of uh, involvement with the people. Thank you, Deborah, for sharing that and your insights just on global mobility and its impact just in the, the BEPS environment that we're living in. So I want to just take this opportunity to thank Deborah and Brian for sharing their thoughts. Just as we conclude here, there's a lot of there's lots for multinational enterprises to consider, whether we're talking about indirect taxes customs or just global workforces and deploying them across the world. Certainly if you have any questions on the information or 
things that you've heard in the podcast today. We'd be happy to help you navigate through those rules, especially as, as these times are changing in, in this post-BEPS environment. In case you missed our first episode, listen to part one with Rita Trowbridge and Dan McGowan on BEPS. And don't forget to subscribe and tune into our cross-border tax podcast series. Thank you again. Have a great day.